You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. There's a lot going on today. This might be a complicated sermon series, so bear with me. Uh, We're doing Advent. Um, It is Advent season. If you have questions anytime, please feel free to send them. I'll do my best to receive those and answer those when I can. That's it. The number's at the bottom of the screen at all times. It's also in your bulletin. Online, you're more than welcome to as well. Uh, this sermon series, we're doing, ad, we're doing a mixture of things. Hopefully it makes sense. We're just going to combine a couple things together. First, we're doing Advent, like I said, three times. It is the season of Advent. If you don't know what Advent is, it's a season of preparation that leads us to Christmas. I'm not one of these guys that gets... I, we're all celebrating Christmas right now. We just sang joy to the world. I'm not going to beat anybody up for celebrating Christmas. In the old days, you weren't allowed to put up a tree until Christmas Eve. Put up your tree, whatever you want. I don't care. October, Halloween, if you want. But uh, Advent is this season of preparation. In the church calendar year, it does two things. They call it the midnight of the year because we're remembering the time before Jesus came. And we're remembering the people waiting for Jesus to come as a baby. But then we're reminded that we currently are also waiting for Jesus to come in his second coming. So it's both. It's the end and the beginning of Christianity. It's, it's the midnight. It's the end of the day and the beginning of the day. We're remembering the people, remembering and waiting for Jesus, and then we remember that we are also waiting for Jesus. So sometimes in Advent, you get some fiery sermons about end time stuff. I don't got any of that for you, but that sometimes happens in the midst of this. I think I said this three times again. We remember people waiting for Jesus to be born, remembering we are waiting for Jesus to return. That's what Advent is about, expectation, anticipation. It's also a season for Christians, usually of fasting, which I have not been since Halloween. I have been going hard in the paint on the sweets. This is one of my favorite thinkers. Her name is Fleming Rutledge. Uh, She's a great preacher, and she wrote a couple books. I have her book on Advent, and in it she has this. Advent is a time for making a fearless inventory of the dark, right? and the darkness. It's a time of preparation. Like Lent, like Ash Wednesday and Lent, that time of preparation leading up to Easter, that's what this time is. And so we're gonna we're gonna do some of that in our sermon series. Make some fearless inventories, talk about some hard things, and and look inward. Um, I'll get you when we get to Christmas, we will have the happies and the clappies, but for now, until then, we're gonna do this. My boss's bosses came up with a five values thing that they want us to be about. And so we have five candles, five values. We're combining them. That's why this sermon series is a little intricate. They're calling it the Free Methodist Way. If you don't know, we belong to a tradition called the Free Methodist. We're Methodist. If you have any questions about that, it's my favorite thing to talk about. I don't push it. It's not an important thing to me for everyone to know or believe, but it guides me. So we're going to talk about these things. The five values that they have are cross-cultural collaboration, life-giving holiness, uh, Christ-compelled multiplication, love-driven justice, and God-given revelation. Five weeks of Advent, five topics to talk about. Does this make sense? 
We all feeling good about this? Um, candles, topics. That's what we're going to do. So today is cross-cultural collaboration. That's what we're going to talk about. Why this is important for our Christian journey. We're going to do that fearless inventory in Advent to think about if we're the type of people who are doing cross-cultural collaboration because for us this is a gospel issue. Uh, I've said all this. Through the time of Advent, we're going to look at these goals and guides in this FM way. We're going to think about our own spiritual journey. Today's cross-cultural collaboration. Are we all on the same page? Complicated enough. Clear as mud. Okay. Candles. Thing. Yes. Um, I think these are, these are helpful goals for us and guides about who we are becoming in Jesus. They give us good mile markers for our relationship with Jesus. And so Advent is that time where we're taking a look at ourselves, preparing ourselves for the arrival of Jesus. And so this is our topic for today. Uh, one of the biggest topics in God's word is race and ethnicity and culture and nationality. In fact, I'll say this. Uh, half the New Testament is written by Paul, 13 letters. Um, no one writes letters to just talk about theology. They were too expensive. They wrote letters to churches to address problems. And the number one problem that Paul is addressing in these churches is an issue of race. The Jews and the Gentiles cannot figure out how to be Jesus's body together. Almost every letter he's talking about, I mean, this is why the word circumcision is in the Bible so many times. It's because the Jews are like, you have to be circumcised. And they're like, absolutely not. I'm 45 years old. Keep your hands off. And, and they're like fighting. And they're like, no, but if you really want to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you have to do our cultural thing. You have to do our racial things. Our Jewish identity is important to followers of Jesus. And they're like, listen, I'm Greek. Leave me alone. Keep your, keep your Jewish moyers away. No circumcisions over here. And so Paul is writing his letters to try to help these two people that have these rooted identities uh, become one people in Jesus. And so cross-cultural collaboration is, is a heart issue of the gospel. The bad news for us, we start with the bad news, is this. It's a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. He says, I think it's one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. And I think it's still true um, that we still haven't figured out this thing that is so central to Paul's ministry, takes up half of our New Testament. Uh, they were fighting about it then, and it's still an issue for us. Uh, and I don't think it's much better outside the church. I'm not trying to bash the church, but we struggle with this. Uh, I read this report. I, I don't know if you know, my undergrad is in sociology. We look at a lot of these kind of social markers. This is one that I came across was that Three-quarters of white folks don't have any non-white friends, and it's not much different for folks out, you know, non-white folks. It said black folks have 66, two-thirds of them don't have any folks outside of their own race. So it's not just a church issue. I think it, it spreads out through us, uh, throughout our culture. I just wanted to give a quick definition before we jumped into scripture of racism, because I think this thing's evolving, and sometimes we need to define the terms so that we don't get lost. We know the old definition. It was hatred in our hearts for people that look different. And that's a great, that still works. 
the reason it's not being used as much now is because I think almost everybody thinks this is wrong. Everybody didn't think this was wrong for a long time. Hatred for people that look different, that's just normal stuff. Now we're like, yeah, that makes sense. We should not do that, right? I think that's... They beat it into us as kids. And we we were like, yes, give it to me. Uh, Hatred in our hearts for people that look different, that's not really the definition folks are using anymore. So... But it's still true. There are still people who do this, and I think we all think mostly that they're wrong. The definition that's getting used mostly now is that no system is perfect, and it's going to fail some people. Every system fails people. That's just the nature of systems. They're not perfect because they're not Jesus. But for some reason, they seem to fail people, uh, people of color and and the poor, most often. And so when people are talking about racism now, they're talking about why is that the case? Is it their fault? Is it the system's fault? Is it our, whose fault is it? And so um, I think that's a helpful redefinition uh, because no one is accusing anyone of being hateful in their heart. We're just trying to figure out why the system's failing people. Um, I hope that's helpful. But let's get into the good news. Stop talking about those definitions and get into some scripture, huh? You know how we do. Head, heart, hands, something for us to know, feel, and do with this topic of cross-cultural collaboration, what is it that God wants us to know? God wants us to know that God's hope for humanity is universal unity. God's hope for humanity is universal unity. Paul starts writing the book of Ephesians, and he starts dropping this word mystery, but he doesn't tell you what's going on with this mystery. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, right? A plan for the fullness of time. These are big words in Ephesians 1. God has a mystery, and he's revealed it. And it's been a a plan since the beginning of time, and and it's bringing about the fullness of time. And you're like, I want to know what this mystery is. This sounds intriguing. Color me excited. Ephesians 3, he says, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Okay, this guy knows it, and maybe he'll tell us. And as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery, he's about ready to tell us. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets of the Spirit. So he has a mystery. He knows the mystery. He's trying to tell us about the mystery. It's been since the beginning of time. God has set up this mystery that has not been known, but is now known in Jesus. And here's the mystery according to Ephesians 3. Do I not have the slide? This is, I can't believe I set you up and then dropped you like that. I got too excited, y'all. It was a long day yesterday. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians 3, 6. The mystery. I set you up and then I lay down. Is it 3-3? I'm in Galatians. I was like, this does not look right. I'm struggling. This is it. Three, six. That is, this is the mystery. That is, 
the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus of the gospel. That's the, gospel, that's the mystery. From the beginning of time, that was kept secret from all humanity, but is now revealed in Jesus Christ. The, God's plan from the beginning was that the Gentiles would become fellow heirs in God's body. If you don't know what Gentiles are, the Jews believed that this was them, they're Jews, and it's a small group of people, and literally everybody else in the whole entire world was a Gentile, right? It's like if we said Americans and non-Americans. That's everybody, right? For them, and they're even smaller. It's like a couple thousand of them. They're like, everybody else is called a Gentile. And so Paul is saying, since the beginning of time, the grand mystery is that all these people should be included into God's family. That's the mystery. God's plan from the beginning. The mystery of God. We read about it. Jeff read about it for us. We lit the candle, which is why cross-cultural collaboration is today. The promise to Abraham was that God would make his name great and bless him so that all the families of the earth will be blessed because of him. The plan from the beginning was that all of humanity would be one family in Jesus Christ. One family. Working together to see God's kingdom come on earth. I heard uh, a Navy SEAL instructor talk about Navy SEALs. And someone asked him, how can you tell if someone's going to make it to become a Navy SEAL? I don't know. I, I think I heard something like 109 or 110 people get admitted to the class and only 13 of that class end up making it. And so they said, how do you, how do you know who's going to become part of the most elite fighting squad in the world, the Navy SEALs? And he said, we can't tell, but let me tell you who doesn't make it. He says, a lot of times these, these super fit collegiate athletes show up, but they haven't been tested. They don't have the inner strength to do it. He says, a lot of times these meatheads show up, right? These super ripped dudes with these gym muscles. And they don't make it because they're used to relying on themselves. And he says, sometimes these super smart guys show up thinking they're going to show off figure it out, break the puzzle and get through. He says, usually they don't make it either. He says, the one characteristic that I look for that I know almost always makes it is that when you are at your bottom, completely wiped, no more energy, you are able to somehow scrounge up something to help the person next to you. That it's not about you and your performance and your strength and your intellect. It's about your ability to, at the rock bottom, help the person next to you. We need each other. We can do more together. It should not surprise us that God's hope for humanity is unity. This is how God made us at the core of us. This is the best of us, is togetherness. Yeah? Amen? What does God want us to feel when we start thinking about cross-cultural collaboration? To make cross-cultural collaboration successful, you need to prioritize your primary identity. Prioritize your primary identity. Galatians 3, 
You are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Prioritize your primary identity. These don't disappear, but they don't get the ultimate word about who you are. That gets the ultimate word about who you are. Honor your other identities. I don't want you, you're not supposed to lose those. Honor those. Honor those. This is where my family's from, I think. I don't know anything. A <laughs> lot of Irish. Uh, Scottish, English. That British Isle is crushing in my blood right now, right? My grandmother's Italian. My mom's mom is Italian, Sicilian, and Irish. And my mom's dad is Portuguese, but you couldn't tell. Any, I got, I'm see-through. I'm so white. All that stuff got disappeared somehow in the midst of... I don't tan, I burn, right? I haven't even been... To, I've been to Italy. I've been to England. I haven't been to these two places. There's something about it that just... It, 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 it speaks to who I am and where my people came from. There's, there's something there for me to honor, Right? My grandfather's from North Carolina. I've never been there, but I want to go. I don't know what's over there, but he's from there. That's where my people's from, the mountains, Appalachians, hillbillies, the lot of us. That's okay, though. They're my people. I can say that. <laughs> my grandmother's from Kansas. I've never been, but I want to go. There's something about it that draws me, right? That's, that's where she's from. That's where her roots are from. My, my mom's mom and my mom's dad were born in San Francisco, I know a lot of people say a lot of bad things about it. I love it. I love it. I go there as often as I can. I walk because I just, I want to wear shorts and a sweater. That's what I want to wear. <laughs> can I just wear shorts and a sweater year round? San Francisco. This is where I'm from. These are things that I can honor. These are identities that I have. It's places I'm from. These are nationalities that make up who I am. These are my people and my roots. I can honor those. And we do honor those in our culture. In Chicago, they turned that whole river green for the Irish Pride Parade, right? Like, those poor fish, the river's already not looking great, and they're like, let's dump a bunch of green stuff in it, right? Like, we celebrate. There's always Italian parades. My grandmother talks about it a lot in San Francisco. There were these uh, Italy, Sicilian parades going around the block, especially when the mayor, who's Italian, became mayor. Like, they rejoiced. Honor these for sure. Honor your stuff. I want you to be proud of where you come from and who your people are. But hold them loosely for our God-given mission and identity. We have a, a higher, more important, more baseline identity. Some of that stuff can get taken away. My, <clears throat> my kids probably won't know any of that stuff. There's just too much family history. You know, there's French now with Aaron and some kind of Swedish and... I don't even tell them about it. It's too much. They're not going to remember. Irish, you know? That's you all. <laughs> that stuff can get taken away. We can forget it. We, we, someone might not write it down. People who <clears throat> have family trauma, the, the, the stories aren't able to be told. All those identities can get lost, but this one can't. The one that is of us in Jesus Christ, that is our most rock-solid, most baseline foundation of who we are. Paul tells us this twice. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I may save some. All things I do for the sake of the gospel so I can be a partner with it. 
Before that, he talks about, <clears throat> to those who are free, I became like a free person. To those who are weak, I become weak. To those who are practicing Judaism, I become like one practicing Judaism. To those outside of Judaism, like he's, all those identities of nationality, race, financial status, he says all of that. I just use it for Jesus. Like, I hold that stuff loosely. He's saying things harsher than I would. But he lists all of his identities. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I'm one of the most educated people on planet Earth at this time, Paul tells us. And he says, these things, my identities, were my assets, but I wrote them off as a loss for the sake of Christ. Even beyond that, I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have lost everything for him. But what I lost, I think of as sewer trash. That might be our closest bad word in Scripture. I'll just let you, let your minds wander. I think of all that stuff as sewer trash in comparison so that what I might gain, uh, I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Honor your, your identities. Honor the things that make you a, a who you are. I want you to be proud uh, in the good sense, not in the bad sense. But we need to keep our primary, we need to prioritize our primary identity. So what identities could we hold a little more loosely? I think there's a lot of them. I would encourage all of us, myself most included, to hold our political identities a little more loosely for the sake of Jesus. We are creating a lot of vision and strife uh, in in, in an already gasoline match-lit world, right? Like, maybe we could just... There's a lot of prophets out there preaching whatever they think the truth is, and I think our world could use a little more pastoral presence for myself included, huh? But other identities as well, I think. Um, I, I think we live in the greatest country on earth, but our kingdom goes beyond this, and we can hold those things a little more loosely for the sake of the gospel. Cross-cultural collaboration happens for us when we honor who we are while prioritizing that primary identity in Jesus. Amen? What does God want us to do? To do cross-cultural collaboration well. Become ambassadors of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Jesus, and he has trusted us with that message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors who represent Jesus. Reconcile, if you don't know, means to bring together again, which is all the more needed when things are divided as ever, right? Ministers ambassadors of reconciliation. I was privileged in my, uh, my pastoral studies to sit under the leadership of uh, Brenda Salter McNeil. Uh, she's a pastor. She's an incredible professor. Her specialty is reconciliation. And she has a book called The Roadmap to Reconciliation, and this is her roadmap. And she says essentially what happens is stuff happens in life. Hard stuff happens. That's the catalytic events. And we get choices when hard stuff happens. We all are making choices. And sometimes we just go back into isolation and preservation and we just do the same thing over again. But there's a way in which when bad stuff happens, we can become ambassadors of reconciliation. And for her, her four steps are there's a realization 
Hey, head, heart, hands. Hey, yes. There's usually a realization that happens. There's usually a realization that happens. And it's usually something like, the way that I thought about those people was probably too generalized, right? I know that was part of my story. I lived, I live in Thermalito, and we have lots more since the campfire, folks who are without homes. We have homeless folks walking around. And there was one guy that was particularly dirty, dreads. He had like animals hanging off, like on nooses off of his clothes. Real like don't bother me vibe, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. and, and I read his story and he has two bachelor's degrees from San Diego. Brilliant in art. And one of the sweetest human beings I ever met. Won't bother you, doesn't ask for anything. Um, just, just change, it was a realization, right? That the way that I thought about a certain group of people wasn't true about all those people. Something happens. Not all of the party that I disagree with are demons or dumb, right? That's usually how we, they're either evil and they're trying to ruin something or they're just so ignorant they can't figure it out. They just are fumbling around breaking stuff. And I, I, you can believe that if you want. But <laughs> usually that's not true. Usually it's just that their life experiences have shaped them to think differently and they grew up in families that shaped them to think differently and they have different ways of processing. Really, we're arguing about the best solutions to fix the common problems, but we've just figured out a way to demonize them or say that they're dumb. There's a realization that happens. It's probably not true. They just have different experiences, right? Maybe, I don't know. Second one is that your people become my people. That's the roadmap to reconciliation. Your people become my people. Your problems become my problems. We're going to shoulder the load together, or as the scriptures say, we're going to bear one another's burdens, right? When something bad happens to you, it happens to me, and we're going to work through it together. If, if there's women facing injustice, they are my sisters in Christ, and so now that's, that's our issue. Yeah? Uh, she says, and then you've got to get ready for lasting change, which means you should come together with people and figure out why those problems existed in the first place and see what you could do to try to figure that out. And then you need to work together as ambassadors of reconciliation to try to make that situation better for the people around you. Ultimately, what we learn from the scriptures is that Jesus has entrusted us with the mission to help others as we have been helped. We are ambassadors of bringing together again people to God and people to one another. That is the commission that we have been given as people whose lives have been changed. Cross-cultural collaboration happens when we know it's our job. Nobody else is going to do it. In fact, lots of people are making lots of money and getting lots of votes by keeping people divided and angry. The world needs us to step into our God-given role to be peacemakers. Questions, comments before we pray and wrap this up? I'm going to check, and then I'm going to pray. Great. Where, uh, making sure I'm reading the right one. So where are we getting this new definition of racism? That's a great question. 
Um, I can send some resources. This is what, uh, I mean, there's just lots of different places that are talking about this. I can, in fact, I'll bring Brenda Salter McNeil's book, Roadmap to Reconciliation, and she talks about this um, in, the, in the first couple chapters of her book as redefining or, or defining the terms of reconciliation, what does that mean, but also how we approach issues of race and ethnicity, um, which I think can be helpful when we're talking about this, that people aren't accusing people of being hateful in their heart. We're just taking a look at the, the things, the systems, and why uh, some of the outcomes continue to happen. And uh, a lot of people have a lot of answers about why. You know, just like everything. Everybody's got an opinion. Um, but I think sometimes they can be helpful questions. So I'll bring, uh, so I can tell you for sure that she has that definition in the early parts of her books, and I'm happy to send that to anybody that wants it. I have lots of copies of her book, um, but that's one place I get it. That was the only question. What does God want us to know? God's hope for humanity has always been holistic unity. That's the mystery from the beginning. With your heart, personally, honor the identities that you have who you come from, where you come from, what's going on in your life. But it's helpful to prioritize our primary identity, which is ultimately in Jesus as children of God. And with our hands, we have been commissioned as ambassadors of reconciliation, as peacemakers to and in the world around us. Your practice this week is to light some candles for Advent. I don't care what candles you have. It doesn't have to be these ones. But... One candle this week, because this is the week of hope. And hope reminds us of Abraham's calling to be a blessing to the world so that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. It reminds us that this is God's hope for humanity. Pray with me, would you? Thank you, Father. Thank you for this hard word. Thank you for these scriptures that encourage us to be peacemakers in your world. Would you give us that realization and insight that you want us to have about the people that we struggle with? Because people are hard. You know, we have lots of struggles. So help us to have realizations about them. Help us to see them with your eyes as your beloved children, people that you deeply love and you want to see redeemed and saved. And we'll be careful check our thoughts and our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, now as we come to a time of communion, the ultimate act of reconciliation, would it be a reminder? Would it be spiritual energy for us to live into our relationship with you, our reconciled relationship with you, and also to become ambassadors of reconciliation in our world. Thank you. Table Church, will you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.